Well, good evening, everybody. Good to be with you. Good to see you. You know, one of the greatest encouragement and one of the greatest blessing of being a Christian is really is every week we come to gather to to be with the family of God, and it's always a wonderful pleasure to be able to do that. And I hope and pray it is the same with and for you. Uh, in case you are new, in case you don't know me, my name is Chin. I'm one of the pastors at Suwi Church. And one of the things that we do as a church is to memorize scripture together. We want to take God's word, let it take root in our hearts. And every month, we memorize a new passage together. And uh, hopefully you recognize we are in a new month. We are in the month of June. And so we have a new passage to memorize this month. So very simple and short passage this month. So there should be a card near you on your seat, so if you can take that. And hopefully you recognize that one of the themes that we've been going through as we memorize these scriptures together is that we are memorizing the attributes of God and who He is. So we've uh, memorized His holiness, His um, transcendence, His faithfulness. This month, as you can see, we are memorizing about His mercy. So in the context of Luke chapter 6, um, not almost said Paul, it's Jesus. Jesus is talking to His disciples. He's asking them to love their enemies, do good to those who hate them. Because in the same way we do that, God is merciful to us. And so he's asking his disciples to be merciful just as God is merciful to us. Because recognizing we are sinners, sinners deserving only God's wrath and judgment, but yet he has come and saved us in his son. God is merciful. He does not give us what we deserve, but yet he pours out his grace on us. And so that's what we're going to remember in Luke chapter 6. So, uh, let's say that together. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. All right, let's do that one more time. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So keep memorizing that very simple verse this month, but it's a verse that's packed with great, gracious truth about our God. Now, it's a time where I invite the primary school-age children. If you have uh, primary school-age children, you can now head up to your Subi Kids classes upstairs. Feel free to register them, um, say hi to the leaders, and then come back down and join us after that. Well, welcome all to Subi Church this evening. My name is Sean Kam. I'm one of the elders of the church here. We have a few less people today because we have the uh, state youth game going on. Uh, a lot of the youngsters are there. And also a lot of family probably away for the long weekend too. Now in, at your seat, you probably have one of these connect cards. Or in front of you, there should be a QR code if you can also scan that. We will appreciate everyone, doesn't matter whether you've been the first time here or you've been here like me over 20 odd years, that if you can scan them and just put in your details and that we know that you're here and well. If you've got nothing to say, just put your name in there, and that's it. Just send it in there. But we hope that you can actually put something in there. You can put something in there to praise God, or you want to put something that you want us to pray for you. It's time to come for offering. I think, as you know, that we have been practicing since the COVID time, that offering has been now gone electronically. We have done it uh, for a while now, for a few years. But there are still options for you. If you do want to make an offering, you can do it at the back, at the cubby hole. Um, there's a, a box there, there's an envelope there. You can just put it in there, and we appreciate that. Even though time has changed, the way we do offering have changed. 
I know that that is, doesn't lessen the importance, and we don't think about offering anymore as, as much, but we haven't changed the meaning. It is an important part of our worship to God. We will give, we give with joy and thanksgiving to God because we know that he, what He's done for us through Christ. Second Corinthians eight, uh, verse. Um, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine says, "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for the, your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich." Let us pray. Father Lord, we thank you indeed your gift of your Son to us so that we may become rich through your Son. Lord, we understand that we have everything that is in your hands, things that we enjoy is all through you and you have given us. So Father, we thank you indeed that all your blessing and your grace upon us as a family and individual. And Lord, we pray that you will be able to accept our offering, that you can take it for the expansion of your kingdom's work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a few announcements. Well, more than a few. Um, we do have a Connect lunch coming up on Sunday, 18th of June. You can take your phone out for all these events. I, I, won't, I won't say a word. Just take your phone out and get ready to put in your calendar. So Connect lunch is coming up on the 18th of June. Time is 12.15 on the Sunday after the second service upstairs in activity room one. If you're new or you've been near new, or you haven't met any of the staff members, or the elders, or some of the people around the church, please come and register on your Connect card. And we will have time for you to have a lunch with us, and also discuss some of the church, um, things that we are doing in the church, and the activities we have, and also the, all the different ministries that you can participate in. We also have a man ministry night coming up, Five Hard Truths for Men. It's on Wednesday, the 14th of June. It's coming up between 7 and 9 p.m. at night in the church cafe here. Come and join us for the Subi Church uh, with a delicious dinner. Um, we will be looking at the five hard truths about life that God's words reveal to us. And this truth conflict with, yeah, conflict with the culture around us. Dinner will be provided. If you register, it will cost you $10. It's a slow-cooked meat. You're not doing it, are you? <laughs> Usually, we, when we look at meat, we always talk about him. Jordan. Um, so please RSVP on your, on your card or on the um, Connect card or the app. Women Ministry Night is coming up too on Wednesday, 28 June. Time also 7.30, between 7.30 and 9 p.m. will be in the church cafe. The Women's Ministry is focusing on God's attribute highlighted in the scriptures at Subi this year, and we'll be looking at God's uh, immutably at the upcoming Women's Ministry Night. We're excited to have Esther on. Some of you probably know Esther Ong. She comes usually on the Sunday, Sunday services. We also serve as a BSF teaching leader, speaking about the differences this makes to us in knowing and loving him better. All women are welcome. Kids Holiday Clubs, the volunteers. We have a great response to the Kids Holiday Club so far, and we've been excited to, to get closer to the date. Thank you for everyone who have signed up to help. We are really close to reaching the volunteer numbers. We in need of eight more crew leader, three more people from the cafe team, and three more uh, for the welcome team. If you have hesitated and haven't registered yet, please do register. We need, 
the sooner we can get all the people, the sooner that we can actually get all the people out in planning and help them to understand where they should be in uh, during the school holiday club. Now we have a, a new program, and this month we will have a few initiatives at church to support Pregnancy Problem House. Pregnancy Pro Problem House is a Christian organization that works with women and families experiencing stress due to the unintended or unsupported pregnancy, or who have experienced pregnancy loss or trauma. How can we help? Firstly, there will be a need for non-perishable food items to be donated. If you are able to have some of the food items or essential items, we will be having a food collection at the church on the 24th and 25th of June. You can bring along the items to donate and drop them off at the church that weekend. Secondly, how can we help? There is also a critical need for new child car seat. Please emphasize on the word new. Um, if you have children before, you know that car seats do have an expiry date on them. Um, for this new car seat for the family, for the newborns, which you can help to purchase or contribute towards purchasing, this might be something that you might consider doing as a small group of a family. There is a great opportunity to pass on love and blessing to families who are in genuine needs. If you'd like more information, please have a chat with Haley Elkin in the foyer after the service or scan the QR code on the screen. There you go. All right. It's time now for us to come before the Lord in prayer, the congregation prayer that we do every week. As we prepare our hearts to hear God's word, please join me in prayer. Father, as we celebrate WA Day this long weekend, we thank you for WA and the safe and prosperous home that we, you have provided us with. Thank you for the health care that we benefit from, the weather that we enjoy, the stable government that rules over us, employment opportunity that we are available to us, the choice of high quality produce we can select from this all from your hand, and we thank you. We acknowledge, Lord, that not all of us are sharing this prosperity of our state. Many First Nation people the homeless, the unemployed, refugee, even ordinary families are doing it tough right now. We pray that wealth may be distributed fairly and equitably. Help us not to be greedy, but to be generous to those who do not have nearly as enough as we do. We pray for the wisdom as Australia votes with the voice referendum for, to make changes to our constitution later this year. Whatever the outcome, we pray for the First Nation people of WA. We know that there are many social issues, such as alcoholism, domestic violence, and abuse. May the gospel go out, be received by them, and may it be the cure for their spiritual and social issues. We pray that you would raise up strong Christian leaders amongst them who will be able to lead them out of spiritual wilderness. For those among us who are sick, we pray for the complete recovery. Be with those under medical treatment and be with them in their and be comforting them because of their pain and anxiety. Comfort them as only the God of all comfort can do. Be with the young adults at the state youth game this weekend. We pray for their safety, 
and for the friendship to be made and deepened, and for your gospel to change many lives. Thank you for the volunteers who have given up their time to serve you this weekend. We pray for the elders and the staff of our church. We pray that we would give them the character, conviction, and competency to lead us. May they forge path forward to, for Subi Church that is a gospel-centered, word-based, and spirit-filled. May we bear with those we disagree with in love, and in the essential, may there be in unity, in non-essential liberty, and in all things charity and love. Be with Pastor Chin as he brings us the word from Romans 8. May, you, may your spirit enable him to exalt Christ as he should be exalted, and to handle your word of truth with care and fear and trembling. We pray all this thing in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening, church. This week's Bible reading is taken from Galatians 3, verse 23 to 4, verse 7. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, sorry, according to the promise. What am I, oh, sorry. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns a whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when you were underage, we were in slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Good evening once more. It's great to be with you. Uh, and one of the things, as uh, Sean mentioned, uh, we want to always remember is to remember our young adults. They are at State Youth Games uh, this weekend. And one of the great things, you know, being a young adult is that you get to spend time like this together with other young adults uh, over the weekend, really to it's an intense time together where you are spending and building relationships, you have fun, you know, you play games. But more importantly, it's through those relationships you can have good gospel conversations. So one of the things that we want to do as a church family is that we want to keep praying for these relationships. We want to keep praying for our young adults, for soft hearts, particularly for those who are not Christians yet, uh, so that you know, they can come and mingle with these Christians and see the difference, see um, what being a Christian means and being part of a Christian community means. And so we want to remember them. So in your you know, prayer throughout the week, please remember them. Please keep praying for them. 
Now, as Sean mentioned, we are going to look at Romans chapter 8. And uh, let me start with talking about and talking about this particular movie. I don't know how many of you have seen it. It is a pretty old movie now. Uh, this movie is called Saving Private Ryan. So hopefully you've heard of that movie. It was a huge movie released in 1998, directed by Steven Spielberg. So it is set during World War II, and it's about a group of eight soldiers led by Captain John H. Miller to go to rescue a paratrooper that has landed behind enemy lines, and this paratrooper is called James Ryan, and that's where this movie got its name from. You have this Private Ryan, you have this group of soldiers going to save Private Ryan, so saving Private Ryan. So these group of soldiers, they fought their way through enemy lines to get to this Private Ryan to find him, and along the way, six of them died. And towards the end of the movie, they finally managed to get this Private Ryan to safety, but not before Captain Miller was shot and he was dying. Just before he died, Captain Miller pulled Private Ryan close to him. And he said these words, Earn this. Earn it. Now, do you sense and recognize the depth of what Captain Miller said to this Private Ryan? Right, eight soldiers dispatched to come and save this Private Ryan. Six of them died including Captain Miller. Six lives for the rescue of one life. That's the cost of Ryan's life. And so what the captain is asking Ryan to do is to make sure you live a life that is worthy of the lives of these soldiers who died to save you. Earn this life that's been bought for you. You have been saved, you've been rescued, therefore live a life worthy of the sacrifices of these soldiers. Now, for some of us, that sounds very familiar. For some, some of us, that's how we think of our Christian life. Not salvation by works. We know that we have received salvation by grace. But the idea is that now, now that we receive this salvation, we strive hard to live our lives with holiness. Our lives are meant to be holy. If we are not, we are failing God. We're failing the one who has saved us. But Christ has died sacrifice himself for us, how could we be failing him? How could we not be living in a way that is worthy of his sacrifice? And so, the idea is we need to strive hard, live up to this sacrifice of Christ. It's as if Christ is saying to us, after he has saved us, earn this, earn it. Now, is that how the scriptures describe our Christian life? How should we approach our Christian walk now that we've been rescued into the realm of Christ? We will be looking at Romans chapter 8. We're going to spend some time looking at this question. And so as many of you know, we are going through a sermon series on the book of Romans. And today we're looking at the first part of Romans chapter 8. So from Romans chapter 5 onwards, what we have seen is that Paul has been focusing on the idea of two realms. Right, you have the realm of Adam in chapter 5 and the realm of Christ. In Adam, there's sin and death. We're no longer in the realm of Adam. Now we're in the realm of Christ because Christ has transferred us out of the realm of Adam 
into the realm of Christ. We are dead to sin. We're no longer there. We're now in Christ. In this realm, there's life, there's grace, there's righteousness. We are in that realm now. And that's been Paul's emphasis from Romans 5 onwards. And he continues this idea in Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 really is the climax of Paul's argument that he began all the way in Romans chapter 5. And it is a very, very rich chapter. And that's why we're going to spend a few weeks in Romans chapter 8, packed with life-transforming truths. And so today we're looking at the first 17 verses of this chapter. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Let me always encourage you, if you can, bring your own physical Bible so that we can see the context of it. But there will be the passage behind me. Let me invite you to stand if you are able, and I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8, the first 17 verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to in accordance with the Spirit, have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in a, are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory. You may be seated. So in our passage today, what Paul does, hopefully you recognize, he brings out the contrast between life according to the Spirit of God and life according to the flesh. There's a contrast between two realms, as we have seen over the last few chapters. But here, Paul talks about the realm of the flesh and the realm of the spirit. And that's what we are going to be looking at today. There is one big point that Paul makes in this passage. So the main big point 
is this. We are set free by Christ to live according to the Spirit. We are set free by Christ to live according to the Spirit, not the flesh. And in our previous chapter, in our previous sermon, what we saw is that Paul has been talking about the role of the law. And one of the points of last week's sermon is that the law was powerless to deal with sin's power. So sin in the realm of the flesh, sin takes advantage of our sinful flesh, uses the law to entice us, to tempt us to sin. And because of our sinfulness, the law condemns us. The law has no power to change us. And therefore, we stand before God condemned. Paul cries out in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Oh, what a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Answer? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God delivers us from that condemnation under the law through Christ. And so we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, for those who are in Christ, Jesus, we are not condemned anymore because we are united to Jesus. We are one with Christ. We're no longer in the realm of the flesh. Now, we have been transferred into the realm of Christ, united to Christ, one with Christ as we saw. Look at verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. We have been set free. We're no longer in that realm of the flesh. We are set free. And He does that. He sets us free by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That is, He sent Jesus to come as a man as to be a sin offering. In other words, He came, Jesus came, to take the condemnation that we deserve. One commentator puts it this way. The sacrificial death of the Son of God, therefore, was the means by which sin was condemned. He took upon Himself the punishment that those who violated God's law deserved. That was us. And Jesus took that punishment. And because of that, we are set free, set free by the death of Christ on the cross. Once we were bound and imprisoned in this realm of the flesh, no longer, we are not there anymore. Paul is not just talking about our behavior when we are in the realm of the flesh. It goes deeper than that. He's talking about our allegiance, our loyalty, about where our citizenship lies. But now in Christ, we're not bound there anymore. We're not in that realm anymore where flesh rules over us. We used to be like that, no more. We're not citizens of that realm anymore. So not only are we saved from the guilt and penalty of sin, we're saved from the reign and power of sin. Yes, sometimes we still have behaviors that shows us that we used to belong in that realm. But now because of Christ, we are now in Him, one with Him, in the realm of of the Spirit, using the words of Romans chapter 8. Now, we also have to notice we are set free for a purpose. Right? We are not set free to do whatever we want to do. No, no, no. If flesh does not rule over us anymore, who or what does rule over us? If we belong to the realm of the Spirit, then, well, it is the Holy Spirit who rules over us. Therefore, we need to live according to the Spirit. We are set free by Christ so that we can live according to the Spirit. Look at verses 3 and 4. And so, He, God, 
condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we'll, we now live in the realm of the Spirit. We live according to the Spirit. Now, of course, immediately, we have to ask, what does that mean? Because many Christians have answered that question in many different ways. But Paul doesn't give us any time to guess because he tells us exactly what he means in the next few verses. So we're going to look at that. So he brings out two aspects about what it means to live according to the Spirit. We're going to spend more time on the second aspect. The first aspect is a little bit shorter, but that's from verses 5 to 11. The first aspect is this. We set our minds on what the Spirit desires, not the flesh. We set our minds on what the Spirit desires, not the flesh. So in verses 5 to 11, he draws a contrast between those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. This mind is governed, that is governed by the flesh is death. The fleshly mind is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law. This mind cannot submit to God's law. There's no capability of doing that. Those who are in this realm cannot please God. On the other hand, listen to the contrast as he talks about those who live according to the Spirit in this realm. We live our lives with our minds set on what the Spirit desires. And the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Complete contrast to life under the realm of the flesh. Living according to the Spirit means that we live our lives according to what the Spirit wants. In other words, what God wants. And it starts in our minds, in the way we think, in our mindset, in approaching life. Now, it's important to note as well, Paul is not saying that we have two choices. Now that we are saved, there's two choices for you. Live according to the flesh or live according to the Spirit, so choose wisely. Either choose flesh or you choose the spirit. Make the right choice. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the same thing that he's been saying for over the past few chapters. You have been saved from the realm of the flesh, transferred into the realm of the spirit. Therefore, you have a mind set on what the spirit desires. That is who you are. Look at verse 9. He says this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. It is Paul's declaration of where we are. We are here in this realm. Therefore, we live according to the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. That is who we are. We are in the realm of the Spirit. And when the Spirit is on the throne of our lives, then we will set our minds on what the Spirit desires, not the flesh. Our allegiance, our loyalty, our status has changed. And so even though our bodies are subject to death because of sin, even though sometimes we still have sin in our everyday life, that doesn't dominate us or characterize us anymore because we are here in the realm of the flesh, uh, realm of the spirit. Sin doesn't have power over us anymore. And so what should characterize us as a Christian, as those who are in Christ, is that we are people who do what God wants. Our minds are set on what the Spirit desires, on what God wants. We want the thing that God wants. We value the thing that God values. We think God's thoughts after Him. 
And the only way that we can truly know God's thoughts, God's heart, and God's desires, how do we know that? The only way we truly know that is through the Scriptures, through God's Word. There is no substitute for that. And that's why one of the things that we want to do, as always, we want to build a culture within this church is where Scripture is central, where we want to pay attention to what God says through His Word. We want to cultivate that culture because in the Scriptures, we find God's heart, His desires, because we are people who live according to the Spirit. That's one aspect of what it means to live according to the Spirit. The second thing is this. We live as children of God, not as slaves. That's from verses 12 to 17. Look at verse 12. starts off with the word, Therefore, because we've been given new life, we now have an obligation to do what? To put to death the misdeeds of the body. So if we say that we're now in the realm of the Spirit, no longer in the realm of the flesh, then we cannot indulge the desires of or the misdeeds of the body that came from this realm. Right? We have an obligation to put to death the misdeeds of the body, to live in such a way, in some sense, worthy of the gospel. John Owen, a 17th century Puritan, he had this wonderful phrase to describe this, and he wrote a book on this called The Mortification of Sin. Great title, to mortify sin, to kill sin, to subdue sin in our lives. And so that's our obligation. Now, as we live according to the Spirit, to mortify sin in our lives because of this new life that has given us. If we don't, if we live in such a way according to the flesh, then really that shows us that we are still belonging in that realm. And if we are belonging in that realm, then we will die, we will receive condemnation from God. But that's not who we are anymore. We're now in the realm of the Spirit. We live according to the Spirit. And with the help of the Spirit working in and through us, we put to death the misdeeds of our body. That is what we're called to do, to mortify sin in our body. But we've got to be careful here. Because if we don't have the right mindset as we do this, if we don't have the right mindset as we mortify sin in our lives, we run into a problem. Let me explain. By going back to Saving Private Ryan, remember what Captain Miller said to Ryan as he lay dying. He pulls him close to him and he says, earn this, earn it. Essentially, he's saying to Ryan, earn this salvation that you have received. Six men died to rescue you. You had better make sure that your life is worthy of the sacrifice of these six men. Don't waste the sacrifice of these men. Don't bring shame to their sacrifices. Sometimes we think of our Christian life in the same way. Christ died for us, transferred us into this realm of the Spirit. Therefore, our calling now, live a life that is worthy of this sacrifice. Do not bring shame upon God. Mortify sin in our lives. You better live worthy lives. Isn't that what Paul is saying here? Well, fast forward to the end of the movie. Fast forward to a time where Private Ryan is an old man. He goes to visit Captain Miller's gravestone. 
he kneels down in front of that gray stone and he says this, I wouldn't know how I would feel coming back here. Every day I think about what you said on, on that day on the bridge. I tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I earned what all of you have done for me. And his wife comes forward next to him. And he says this to her, tell me, tell me I've led a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. What do you hear in that, in that voice and in those words? Is that joy that you hear? No, that's not joy. That's pain, despair, burden behind those words. He tried to earn this life that so many people died to save. But yet at the end of his life, he is not sure if that is enough. He can only hope. You feel that sadness, that doubt in his voice. He even asked his wife to tell him that he's a good man. From the day that he was rescued, he carried a crushing burden with him, a crushing obligation. And he feels that immense pressure that's been put on his shoulder because of this rescue. And that's never left him. It stayed with him his entire life. Is that how the Christian life is supposed to feel? It's supposed to be a life of burden, a life of withstanding that pressure of growing in a holiness so that we can live up to the salvation that God has given us. Is that the kind of life Paul tells us to have? No, it is not. That's not the vision of the Christian life in the New Testament. But how do we get around this? Because it's very obvious that Paul asks us to live a life worthy of the calling that we received. We have an obligation to put to death the misdeeds of the body. How can we do that, yet at the same time not turn that into a joyless, loveless, crushing obligation in our lives? How do we solve that? The answer is in verse 14 onwards. Let me read that. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is the first time in the book of Romans that we hear about being children and sons of God. And that's how we can avoid a loveless, joyless Christian faith is in recognizing that we live our lives as children of God Most High. And we have an obligation to put to death the misdeeds of the body because we have our Heavenly Father. It's not the kind of dutiful obligation, but one of a familial, a family obligation where we want to please our Father. And this is the highest blessing of the gospel, that we are adopted into the family of God, of what Christ has done for us. Look at the end of verse 15. The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. God is now our loving Heavenly Father. We are His children. That is the central truth that we need to grasp. We need to understand because it affects all parts of our Christian life and how we think about our obedience. 
Let me read this quote from J.I. Packer. I've quoted this before, but it's a fantastic quote about adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into His family and fellowship and establishes as His children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of this relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Being in the realm of the Spirit, with the Spirit in us, means that we have God as our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ as our brother. God the Father loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son to die for us on the cross so that we are reconciled, brought back to God's family. And so we come to God as our Heavenly Father. And like any good father, He hears us. He listens to us. We can pray to Him. We can approach Him. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence because we know He's our Heavenly Father. He takes care of us. Doesn't mean that He'll give us everything that we want, but He'll give us everything that we need. Closeness, affection, generosity at the heart of this relationship. And that's how we are meant to think of God. Not primarily as our judge. No, no, no. A judge who will condemn us, who will judge us, for every little thing that we get wrong? No, no, no. We're meant to see God as our Heavenly Father. One who wants what's best for us, who's patient with us, who picks us up in times of difficulty. When we fail, He comes and He brings us forth again, continues to walk beside us in Christ by His Spirit. And like any good parent, like any good father, He has something wonderful planned for us. In verse 17, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His suffering, in order that we might also share in His glory. We are heirs of God because we are God's children. He has a wonderful plan for us in the future. New bodies, new creation, new heavens and a new earth. That is what awaits us. And ultimately, we will be with Jesus forever. And let me end with this illustration. Let me end with this idea and this story that hopefully gets our mind thinking about God in the same way. Imagine you are 10 years old. And then imagine your parents come up to you and they say, you know, we have set up a trust fund of $10 million just for you. And this fund is yours when you are 18. But until then, this is what they say to you. Our dear son, our dear daughter, we have set up a trust fund of $10 million for you when you are 18. This is our inheritance for you. That's the wonderful future that awaits you. But you, you can't have it right now because, well, you're not ready. You do not have the capacity to handle that amount of wealth at this point of your life. Your calling right now, while you wait to be 18, is to grow in your maturity, grow in your wisdom, grow in your responsibility, so that when the time comes and you receive that $10 million, you know how to use it wisely and biblically and know how to bless people with it. Until then, to give you a taste of what it's going to be like, I'm going to give you a weekly allowance of $30. 
That's what our Christian life is like. That's what our loving Heavenly Father is telling us now. That's a wonderful, glorious, brilliant, fantastic future that awaits us. And we're going to see more of that in the coming weeks. New heaven, new earth, without blemish, without sin. We're going to have a new glorified body. We're heirs of that wonderful promise. But we're not yet ready. While we're still waiting for that glorious future, what God is telling us to do, grow in your holiness, grow in your faith, grow in your wisdom, grow in your Christ-likeness. God's Spirit is working in us to conform us to be more like Jesus. So that when we do receive this new heaven and a new earth, these new bodies, we know how to live in it with holiness, with wisdom. And until that day, we experience a glimpse of that. What's going to be, what, how that's going to be like in God's people, in the church today, with the people of God. That wonderful bliss of being with God and His people. That is how our God is like. He's not a judge waiting to judge us. It's not a crushing obligation. But it's as a child growing in our maturity to be more like Jesus. God is our Heavenly Father who loves us, who takes care of us, only gives us what is best. And we have been set free by Christ. Now we live according to the Spirit. To have a mind that's set on what the Spirit desires. Live our lives as children of God. We're not slaves anymore. We don't live in fear of God. Fear of judgment or condemnation. No, no. As God's children, we are living in a relationship of love, of affection and closeness to our Heavenly Father. That's how we're supposed to think of our Christian walk. And I pray that you do that. Let us pray. Father God, we praise you that you are our Heavenly Father. Lord, we never tire of remembering that, that you have sent your Son, your only Son, to come, to die on the cross, to condemn sin in the flesh, so that now we live in the realm of the Spirit, and we can live as your children, to have the power of the Spirit in us, transforming us, changing us to be more like Jesus. In our day-to-day lives, help us to look to you as our Father, not as our judge. A Father who has loved us, who cares for us, who walks with us. A Father who is constantly, actively working in and through us to, be, to turn us to be more like Jesus. Lord, there are days where we're going through hardships and suffering. Some of us spend our times in a hospital at a home because of illness. In, day, in days like that, Father, we ask and pray by your Spirit you draw us closer to you. That our affection, raise our affection once more for you and for Jesus by the power of your Spirit. Help us to know that you are always there with and for us. And ultimately, we just want to glorify you and love you and follow you. Help us to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.